marvellous creations. Thank you so much for listening to Passion Pods. You are brilliant and we're so grateful for your ears. I'm sure I say this every week, but I'm really, really excited about sharing this week's one with you. If ever there was an enthusiastic Passion Podder, then this guy is it. Like, seriously, you just can't help but be infected by his enthusiasm for what he's doing. His name is Ed. He is one of the four founders of Carousel and Shuttlecock. Started off with doing events like Mile High, you might have heard about that, and now have a permanent space in Baker Street, Marlebone kind of area, where they have different guest chefs featuring for a couple of weeks as well as some event space, which have all sorts of different bits and pieces going on. Art galleries, experiences, pop-ups, music gigs, the works. So yeah, they're basically doing all things creative, which, as you can imagine, made me extremely excited. Uh, so yeah, Passion Pod 62. And we're on the hunt for reviews, by the way, as well, please. If you fancy giving us a little bit of a cheeky review on iTunes, we'd be ever so grateful. Oh, and just a little heads up, it's quite echoey. We were sitting in a really big room. Very comfy chairs, uh, but very big space. So apologies for a bit of echo action. Uh, right, enough, jibber-jabber. This is Ed. You're listening to Passion Pod 62 with Ed from Shuttlecock slash Carousel. Ed, you are one of the founders, there's an army of you, of Shuttlecock and Carousel. So, I don't know, we're going to talk a bit about both, I'm guessing. Give me them in a nutshell. Carousel is a creative hub split across three floors where we bring together the exciting chefs from around the world. So on the ground floor we've got a restaurant where every couple of weeks a new sort of chef takes up the reins and comes in to cook a set menu with our team in the kitchen and our guys front of the house. Um, Upstairs we've got an amazing space where we do art exhibitions, um, workshops, talks, and the same downstairs as well, like pop-ups, parties, different events. It's three floors of continuously changing creative events and experiences that are loosely based around food, but not exclusively. We started out sort of under the guise of Shuttlecock about three years ago, um, doing immersive dining experiences, so pairing food and drink with a kind of secret cinema style and that kind of was how we started out but it grew from there and sort of spiralled and we started doing private events and things then we were kind of in a position where we were complete nomads and were looking for a permanent home and then the space kind of came about which then became Carousel but when we found the space we didn't know what Carousel was going to be yet. Amazing, um, so it was literally born out of like circumstance. It was, yeah, totally, it was born out of the opportunity. We were looking for space, so essentially we were doing probably in our first two years a pop-up every six weeks, lasting anywhere between two and four weeks. So pretty so, regularly, it's pretty... Well, it ended up being that way. Like when we first started out, the first thing we did was called Mile High, and it was this kind of 50s Pan Am themed experience where we take diners on a, like, a journey to another country. The whole thing was like a weekend away, but in London. Um, and in different spaces doing in different sort of found spaces we'd sort of created there was a check-in where people you know they'd booked and they'd arrive and they'd get a passport and a boarding pass it's fun I want to do it yeah no it was it was it was brilliant and there's you know there's more in the in the pipeline everyone who's working there was playing a character so the whole front of house team were basically kind of 50s air hostesses um and you get your passport you go through to a departure lounge there's like 50s big band music the kind of like sleazy bartenders, there's a drunk pilot at the bar who'd kind of chat to you. Lovely and authentic. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, we'd sort of call people through to board the plane, but instead of getting on a plane, you'd walk into a room and we'd create these theatre sets with um, working like prop houses and an wow. art director who worked in film and TV. So if one minute it was like a Mozambique beach shack or a Sicilian town square. 
I suppose the idea was we could do, you know, like Paris or Rome or whatever, you know, the kind of obvious places. But I think what we found worked best and what was most fun creatively was picking somewhere a bit, a little bit off the beaten tracks. The first one was like Gothenburg. Picking places that enabled us to kind of have a lot of fun with it and kind of do quite a lot of research into local customs or little things that you might come across if you went there yourself as a tourist. And, and, and the to, food, I guess, as well. And the food, massively. So the food and the drink was kind of at the heart of it. And I think when we set out, I think the inspiration for it was that we were all fans of the whole pop-up thing, but quite often we go to something and it promised a lot concept-wise, but didn't necessarily deliver that. It's hard, I guess, with the marrying of the two. is kind of, you need a really strong kitchen team and creative team. So often people come into these things, I guess, with one as their strength. Yeah, that, I mean, that was where we were lucky, was because my, well, there's four of us. Who yeah, tell out. me a bit about more yeah, so, about the setup. So we're four cousins. So there's me and my younger brother, Ollie, who is a chef, and um, he trained at Morrow um, and sort of spent two, three years there kind of working his way up. So, you know, amazing restaurant with amazing reputation, but his love of food sort of extends back to when he was a kid. So, like, my younger brothers grew up in Spain. He was lucky he had, like, a vegetable patch in his garden that he took tend to. And oh, his... don't, it's too idyllic. I know, I know. <laughs> to pick his own stuff. And, obviously, there's amazing food down there, seafood. So, he kind of grew up with that around him. And then, obviously, Moro kind of cemented things and he learned, like, the art of being a chef chef, you know? Um, yeah. But that was, that was him. And then I was working in advertising and sort of frustrated, I suppose, ended up on the account management side of things. Having worked previously in marketing, I started out at L'Oreal. To the grad scheme there and sort of found it quite corporate and realised after about seven minutes that I did not have a lifelong passion for cosmetics. (laughs) So then I kind of looked to my friends who were working in advertising and saw this kind of creative, fun, dynamic, cool, interesting industry and moved into it. Again, quickly realised that I suppose it wasn't all I thought it was going to be creatively and kind of ended up doing a lot of, you know, printing and admin and all the kind of crap that I think everyone has to do with jobs, especially when you're starting out. Like, no one's going to walk in somewhere and start, like, pitching to Disney for their new, like, whatever it is. But We need their number if they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, so I kind of stuck with it. I, I did a couple of years at one big agency and then moved to a smaller one, I suppose, thinking that if I went somewhere smaller, I might be able to kind of have more of a hand. In, yeah, hands-on. In, in, yeah, in kind of more areas like the strategy and the creative side. But... It didn't really materialise and I was kind of in a bit of a funk. So the other two cousins are Anna and Will, who are their brother and sister. And Anna had sort of worked in TV and then she ended up moving to Argentina and set up a business there, um, basically placing English people uh, as au pairs and then set up another business doing a summer school for kids to learn English in Uruguay, like Punta del Este. I mean, you guys, I mean, we haven't even got to the fourth and I'm already being sick in my shoes. Like, this is an amazing range of stuff. Anyway, sorry, so number four is? Yeah, so number four is, is Will. And Will's passion is music and music production. And he sort of DJed at university and put on nights and then wanted to move into like the record industry and did like internships. But as with a lot of these kind of creative industries, it's a lot of unpaid stuff. So in the end, he took a job in sales, which... I don't think it was necessarily his big passion, but he, he did it, he was really good at it as well. But I think he'd be the first to admit that he was kind of like, what am I doing with this? And I was like, what am I doing in my life? And Anna had come back from Argentina and kind of gone back into the production side of things, started working in experiential marketing. And again, sort of hated, having been her own boss, she was like, oh God, what am I doing? Hard to go back. And, and Ollie had like absolutely loved Morrow and sort of been taken under the wing of like Sam Clark. And they were absolutely amazing to him, and it's, you know. But I think he got to a stage where he'd sort of he'd done it. I think as a chef, you're always looking to learn what's the next thing. And I think, you know, he was at a stage where kind of that was what he, what he was thinking. Um, 
it all came together and we, we got chatting. On yeah, how do, I, want to, I want to hear the image of it in my head. I'm like, you just, how does it, how does something like that come up? That well, you're it, like, it's a bit sort of Brady Bunch, but basically um, our dads are twins, identical twins. Oh God, this is just too brilliant. This just gets better and better. Okay, keep going. Um, and there are five of them, five brothers. Uh, well, there's now four, sadly, but there are five brothers and they are all pretty average, but all love a round of golf every now and then. And in the 70s, they, they started playing their own family golf tournament kind of cousins wise our generation like yeah we sort of started getting involved about 10 years ago um and it's just this annual get together where we all go and ostensibly play golf but really it's just a big old laugh um and i think that's part of kind of how we ended up doing the i mean i hate the word but like hospitality thing it's just that as a family you know it's all about big meals and lots of drinking and lots of chatting and lots of laughter and that was like very much part of our upbringing and i think that's something that we wanted to instill in all the events and experiences that we then ended up creating um but yeah going back to the golf basically we played in france i guess it was 2012 probably like september and we're driving back in the car and it just so happened that in the car was my uncle pete and then anna and will and me and ollie and we're on the way back and it was sunday and we were just really bummed out that we had to go back to work the next morning and we started talking and my uncle like so my uncle and my dad were actually in business together themselves. He was basically like, guys, oh, God, this is depressing hearing you guys chat about it. Like, you need to do something. And I, I can't remember what the exact seed of it was. We got to start chatting about doing something to do with food and drink and pop-ups. And Will had had this idea sort of around destination dining. And somehow within about an hour, or somewhere under the, you know, under the English Channel in a tunnel, we were like, Right, it's Mile High, it's the 50s, it's Pan Am, it's Mad Men meets Catch Me If You Can. I mean, it makes my heart feel warm just hearing that. It must have been such an amazing, exciting car journey. It was, and my uncle, being you know, a wise old man, he was like, I'm going to record this. So he gets out his phone and like, records the conversation. What was really funny was um, a lot of the things that we said in the car. I remember saying it like, we can sell like, you know, we can sell Negronis and stuff like, let's get sponsorship from like Campari or something and they can be on board and we can make it like all this and that and the other. And then in the end, like six months later, we did our first one. It wasn't even six months actually, it was probably, yeah, like four or five months. We had Campari sponsoring it, we were serving Negronis and Aperol Spritz and all this stuff. And it was like, whoa, gosh, it's amazing. Like, I suppose you get excited about something and go, this is how cool it could be. And then I think you know we all add our own experience to the mix but it was more kind of coming up with the actual idea and the fun stuff and what the characters would look like and what the experience would look like that was very much like the four of us just riffing and brainstorming and having a laugh and deciding things that we thought would be funny you know just going right well let's do them um can you believe that that is your job that is your job you get to do that as a job that is just so awesome i mean it was all a bit of a whirlwind and i mean anna is like one of the most sort of driven, determined people you'll ever meet. And when we came back, she said, right, we're going to do this, aren't we? And I think we were like, yeah, yeah, of course we'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was like, no, 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 we're doing it. And Anna being Anna, within sort of two weeks, she'd sort of quit her job. And was like, right, I'm doing this full time. And was ringing people and getting sponsors and hooked us up with a, the PR agency, like kind of small boutique PR agency and lifestyle who were like, yeah, we love the sound of it. We'll get on board. And we had, you know, a friend of a friend, this amazing Argentinian like web designer and graphics guy called Emiliano. He was involved and he was designing all the stuff. And Will's mate, who was a photographer called Oleg Tolstoy, who's 
well, the fact we're sitting in a room where he's got an exhibition on his like portrait photographer and he did us some like snaps and, and I wrote like decks to sponsors about who it was we were targeting and why they should get involved and we we're going for like a West London audience because all the pop-ups happening east and yeah, very quickly I was kind of doing more of that in my day job than I was the actual job. It was at that point that it was like, right, I better hand in my notice. And How did you make it work in that, that first bit then? Because that crossover, obviously there's all the doing, but not much money, I imagine, coming in that early on. Well, it was really tricky. I mean, the setup costs themselves weren't huge, and, you know, we did a pre-ticketed thing. Although we weren't actually able to get hold of our hands on the money until the event had happened, um, we used brown paper tickets. So they give a small percentage to um, a different charity of their choosing. Um, so we thought that sounded quite nice. But yeah, they rightly so, because anyone could say they're doing an event, take all the money and then not do it. But they, yeah, they basically had the policy where we wouldn't get the money until we did it. But So we needed a kind of a stopgap loan. And depending on the number of bums we got on seats, then we could obviously pay that back or not. Yeah, we basically borrowed some money off our aunt and uncle to kind of pay the upfront costs. A lot of it we were able to kind of stagger. Uh, and, and pay after the event once we got ourselves paid. Yeah, we were very lucky that we were in a position to have some family members who were willing to stump up um, some cash because I realised that's not something that everyone might have. But we had a kind of solid plan in place that was like, well, if we get this many people, you will have your money back and we can move on to the next thing. Um, and it was amazing. And I, I think really through the power of PR and, 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 a, and a fun idea that I think people can kind of latch on to. And, and word of mouth, you know, Ed, just not wanting to sort of like embarrass you here, but like what you're doing is exactly that. Any amount of PR is great, but the word of mouth stuff surely is the stuff that you can't tap. And you guys have a great buzz around what you're up to. I mean, I'm naive. I'm not a PR person. So maybe that is underneath that. There's a lot of PR beavering away as well. But that must be something that when you've set something up must be quite an exciting thing to look around and think oh this is that I mean that was a huge thing essentially like pre actually doing it we had nothing for people to go on word of mouth wise that was the thing we needed to get the word out there and PR was a great way like they had contacts with sort of shortly press who were like you should go to this thing or the next coolest thing they managed to get us in all sorts of stuff which is just amazing and and yeah you're right in terms of seeing it then take shape in that first day the flutters the heart that you know you're sweeping up sawdust two seconds before someone walks in to have this whole experience it was mad and we were doing absolutely everything and and it all came together you know there were some hiccups but it came together and generally people left and were like that was cool but um take me from that then to carousel yeah so, so very like... briefly then with the Mahai thing we lined up four dates immediately like before we started that was the plan to start with. But within, after the first one, suddenly people came, talked to us, approached us, do you want to pop up here? Have you thought about doing this? Suddenly we had all these other ideas floating around in a similar vein. And without going into all of them, we ended up doing a whole bunch of different stuff over that first year. Started to do more private corporate stuff as well. Um, and it was actually probably, weirdly thinking about it now, I, it was the end of just that first year. We'd probably done it for nine months when... Yeah, I think we were already kind of going, maybe we'd need a home, you know. And initially the ambition was a place where we could have a permanent office, and just for the four of us. A little kitchen where we could potentially cook for off-site events, and then a little space where we could maybe do dinners for like, you know, 20, 30 people, because we're getting loads of inquiries like, oh, could you do this? You know, without a venue we were screwed, because, you know, you're trying to hire a venue for one night, and you can pay, you know, anything like around £3,000 in London, you know, and the budgets that people were talking about for dinner party for 25 you know that's you're never going to be able to do it so that was the kind of original ambition and then we got hugely lucky um that i was sitting next to a friend um at a wedding um and she'd come to some of the mile highs and really liked them she was kind of saying what are you guys up to 
And we said, well, you know, we're doing this, but we're kind of looking for a space. And she said, well, you know I work in property, right? And oh, I, like, I mean, stop <laughs> it. It's excruciating. Well, I know. It's just, People are going to be wanting, listening to this and being like... <laughs> I know. I know. Look, I, I'll be the first to admit that it's just completely... I'd like to think a mixture of luck and hard work, but there's certainly a massive degree of luck in it as well. Like, But I also think, without sounding too sort of um, airy-fairy, but my dad was a huge kind of part of me personally sort of deciding to, to take the risk and to do it. And he sent me all these quotes, like, I think falsely attributed to Goethe, but about standing on the precipice and taking a breath and taking leaping, and you never know what's going to happen. But this is a really bad paraphrase, but it's like, you'll be surprised what happens once you've done it and the things that fall into place and the conversations you end up having and the new directions that you never imagined something was going to go. Because um, I had my reservations. You know, I was very much like GCSEs, A levels, university. I mean, I did end up doing other stuff. I lived in Rome for like two years, which wasn't on the cards, but... Yeah, university, grad scheme, that, that, set, that set path, you know, and I think there's a lot of pressure that we maybe put on ourselves when we don't need to, to follow that path. Um, and there are some great jobs out there, and I think, you know, the, the professions, I think, you know, I found that wasn't for me. And actually my dad is kind of going, look, you don't have anything to lose here. You don't have kids, you don't have a house, you don't have those responsibilities. This is the time in your life when you have to do it, because you'll look in three years' time back and go, why didn't I do that? Anyway, that was a kind of big part of it. But yeah, what he said about kind of things falling into place and stuff, I, I really did find that this kind of overwhelming sort of goodwill came out of what we were doing from people we knew and people we didn't know. And so people would come to my high and they'd be like, oh, I love what you guys are doing. This is so cool. You should just meet my friend so-and-so. Just thousand sort of avenues just opened up just from the doing of it that I would have never dreamt of. And there were just loads of people including Philippa, who I was talking to at this wedding, who were like, oh, what are you guys up to? Fast forward to that know. conversation. We're looking for this. She works for Derwin, like big landlords who have various places on their books that they're not necessarily looking to make a big profit on, that they might look to get someone in who's doing something a bit different and a bit cool to kind of bring more trade and buzz to the area. So they're quite enlightened in that sense. And anyway, she said, come and check out this place. And we said, wow, what's it like? She's like, oh, it's this kind of big empty shell. It's three floors. And we're like, oh, wow, that sounds really cool. Where is it? Marleybone. We're like, <coughs> what? <laughs> You're joking. Like, um, maybe a little rain check on this one. But she was like, no, 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 trust me. Come and see it. And basically, yeah, it was a five-year lease. It was empty. So whoever was going to come in was going to need to invest some money in doing it up. But the positive side was that they weren't asking for a huge amount in rent. Yeah, basically it came around, we looked at it, we were like, wow, this is cool. And she was like, what do you think you'd want to do here? Put a proposal together because we've got a bunch of people who want to get involved and take on the space. So we kind of did and we went away and we were like, well, what do we want to do? And we kind of obviously upscaled from where we were before talking about a little office and a space because there's like, you know, 3,000 or 4,000 square feet here. And we kind of came up with this idea of this kind of, originally we called it like the lab. And it was kind of about bringing different people together and who all kind of shared a common passion that's food and, and drink and kind of creating a place where people could like exchange ideas. And out of that was born this idea of getting chefs to come from their restaurants abroad and basically cook food from their restaurant but in London and give Londoners an opportunity to eat their food without having to get on a plane. It's kind of like mile high in reverse. Um, and that was one idea and the other idea was like well look, we've got a space downstairs so we can do pop-ups here and bring other people in and give other people the opportunity to use the space what I was talking about before about the whole, you know, three grand prohibitive thing. We wanted to kind of give people a chance to express themselves creatively and in terms of food to get involved on that side. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, so we kind of put together this idea of this kind of 
creative hub across three floors where no two weeks would ever be the same. Um, and they said yes. And then ensued... Panic. The m- total panic and the most extraordinary sort of six months of phone calls to solicitors and licensing lawyers and... Steep learning curve. Uh, yeah, getting an architect on board and putting out to tender a contract for the fit out and really steep learning curve. But I think that's the other thing just in general about doing something like this is we sort of pigeonholes ourselves, particularly going back to the kind of university grad scheme, going to the law, going to whatever it might be. But I think we then pigeonhole ourselves, oh, this is all I'm capable of doing or like I'm going to just focus on that one thing and become really good at that one thing. But actually what I've learned is like I was never a particularly great numbers guy, but suddenly you're like looking at P&L sheets for a business that you've created yourself. Obviously you're going to be interested in that because you want to know that you're going to be able to pay yourselves. And just every kind of facet of it, you kind of... Puts a different li- sort of lean on it. Well, totally, because you've got this huge vested interest. But one of the most amazing things is, yeah, I think just getting that experience across a really, really broad spectrum of everything that you need to happen to help make it happen. You, you don't have a choice, you've got to get involved. And that's the amazing thing, we've just learned so, so much. Uh, we've talked a lot about the positive stuff about it. Tell me what some of the challenges have been. I mean, you've talked about the fast learning curves and stuff like that. But what sort of have you found personally uh, sort of challenging about running your own business? Yeah, no, okay. Well, I mean, starters money. Um, you know, from the beginning, as I said, we did have sort of familial support in terms of setting ourselves up. But it was kind of fairly sort of hand-to-mouthy for the first sort of few months, definitely. And, well, one thing that... if there's any lesson that I could give is like basically you get VAT breaks when you first set up a business. We didn't know this. Set up, you know, up to a certain amount of revenue you take, you're exempt from VAT, which is obviously 20% of like what you take in. Um, but we got some interesting advice when we started and registered for VAT straight away, which meant that on that first, however, I think it was 70 grand, like in theory, we, we could have taken all of it home. And in the end, we actually had to give 20% to the tax man, which was we didn't need to do, but we did it and you could reverse it once it was done. So that was a real kind of hiccup. Um, but yeah, it was really difficult. Like, um, you know, the kind of scale of production that we were aiming to do each time meant that, you know, there were a lot of costs involved. We didn't want to just wing it and do a shit job. We wanted it to be everything we sort of dreamt it to be. There's always further you can go if you had a million pounds, you'd, you'd have like sort of hydraulic whatever. But one no, day, darling. One day, one, one day. day. However, yeah, we wanted to do it properly, and as a result, you know, we broke even every time certainly, and we took a little bit home. But and you know, it's only since really, you know, having a place that's open regularly, and even then with Carousel, it's taken a while for people to kind of either hear about it and then once they heard about it to get what it is we're trying to do. Um, so I'd say that, that side of things is difficult and, and I suppose we kind of made decisions, especially with Carousel, like we wanted to expand and get more kind of cool stuff happening, more events. As a result, you need more people because the burnout is crazy. You know, there was one thing, we did a pop-up in Trafalgar Square for Canada Day where like in the daytime we were serving sort of Quebecois barbecue to like, I don't know, a thousand people and then in the evening we did a pop-up set menu dinner for like 50 people. But genuinely over the course of four days like I, I slept like maybe three hours in four days almost feel actually a bit and sick like, and, and yeah <laughs> and there's stuff like that so you know you're working hard and not getting an awful lot of money from it until very recently and even now it's kind of like yeah we're paying ourselves a stable salary but it's not you know the mega bucks yeah I think that's one one thing to to consider as being difficult um the other side of it is kind of switching off or you know finding that time but I find it absolutely impossible um to the detriment, I think, of sort of friendships and, you know, family relationships a little bit. And I think we all feel the same. It's not, it's not just me. 
you know, it's, it is a kind of 24-7, like, even if you're not physically here, you mentally you are, you know, even holidays, you're kind of itching to find that Wi-Fi, to double-check your emails because you're waiting for that person to get back to you, you know. Whatever it is, it's just, I think by doing your own thing, you know, if you're passionate about it, which is, on the one hand, absolutely amazing and fundamental to, I think, having success in something is to be passionate about it, but the flip side is that passion <laughs> means that you're, like, completely obsessive. Um, and I think what I'm trying to do at the moment is try and figure out how to kind of divide work from not work and to kind of enjoy the times when I'm not here. It's more. kind of brilliant though, isn't it? Because basically the trouble is that you enjoy your job too much, so you're trying to find enjoyment in your life. So many people moaning about how dissatisfied they are at work, but how brilliant to have to be focusing, not that you're dissatisfied in your life, but you know, to be focusing the other way around, it's, a, it's, it's such a great place to be in a lot of ways, even though it's challenging. No, it's cool. I mean, I think my girlfriend would probably, yeah, disagree. probably disagree just a little bit. Um, I, I suppose that's the other thing is like, nothing ever feels like it's complete or done, but you kind of always find that there's something that's like, oh, that's not being done right, even though you might have talked about it with someone three times, you know, what you have in your head isn't necessarily that easy to communicate to somebody else, or you assume that someone will approach something the same way as you would, or think about something the same, not to say that my way is the right way, or our way is the, you know, directors is, is the right way, but it's that interesting thing, I think staffing has been a really big learn as well, like everything that when you're in a more stable, more established corporate environment, you kind of take for granted things like the recruitment and the hiring and the interview processes and the stops and checks that they put in place to ensure that they get the best people. And But yeah, I think that's another challenge is kind of formalising what starts out as a really kind of fun creative idea that you see commercially, you see something in it, but also passion you know it's driven by passion and creativity and wanting to do something great that you can wanting to put you know with us when it started like put on a pop-up that I'd want to go to myself that's the kind of that was the real sort of yardstick um if you were to give yourself advice when you started out we've covered a bit of advice and advice that you've gleaned along the way what do you reckon would be the bit of advice you wish you'd been sort of given god it's a tricky question um I think it's sort of trust in others you know, it's so tempting with something like this. You're trying to get something off the ground that you feel like you're the only person who can do it and that you have to do absolutely everything yourself. And when I say yourself, I mean ourselves, the four of us, you know, like from pulling out all sorts from loos to stop the flooding. and you know, All like, the glamour, darling. That you got to do, you know, that's just like part of it. But it's more kind of, yeah, learning to celebrate differences of people you're working with and involved with and give people a bit more free reign, I suppose, to kind of express themselves and to have their own interpretation of what it is you're trying to do because they might have thought of something you might not have thought of. And actually, probably that leads to a far less stressful, frenetic existence, <laughs> potentially, is something that I tell myself. I think that's great. A couple of years on, but... Toes up now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Darling, I forgot as well. I ask everyone, um, I'm doing like this sort of startup satchel, basically. Um, so you're allowed an inspiration, you're allowed an object or a thing, and people or a person. So the stuff that really is helpful for you running your business. Oh, and you get your house keys and your phone, but you can't choose them because they're really boring. Yeah, okay, so an inspiration. So an inspiration, an object or a thing, and a person or people. Oh, crikey. I think maybe like a photograph for sort of inspiration. Um, you know, the four of us, I don't know, with like rings around our eyes, just grinning from ear to ear at some stage during the first one that we did, because, you know, that was really fun. That was the most fun I've ever had. 
Amazing. And you know, you want to kind of be able to sort of remind yourself of that because sometimes you don't remind yourself of like the good bits. Um, Object or thing? It'd be so boring to be like my laptop. But yeah, come on, because you got your phone. You got your phone, so you can do everything on that. Um, object or a thing? Um, I'd say like a waiter's friend, a corkscrew. Great, that's perfect. <laughs> so you can pop a beer and, um, and open a bottle of wine. And yeah, like that helps a lot with things. Magic, that's a winner. And what about personal people? Uh, personal people, um, I think any answer I give will probably end up being stuffy. But, um, well, my girlfriend, yeah. I met her doing this, the <laughs> first one. Although it took me about two months before I got the courage to speak to her. Um, oh, darling. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, two and a half years later, we're together. So, yeah, she's very understanding about all this and has been a big part of it as well. So, yeah, probably bring her. That's amazing. So you got yourself a fab, fab career and an ace girlfriend. This is what <laughs> yeah. everyone should be doing, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Passion Pod 62 with Ed from Carousel slash Shuttlecock. This is easy as that, right? Sure. Uh, thank you so much to Ed, as you can see. I was right, wasn't I? Enthusiasm in bucket loads. Uh, brilliant, brilliant to chat to him. And if you get a chance to go to Carousel, I really couldn't recommend it more highly. I just love it. I've had a couple of brilliant evenings there. They're doing some really exciting stuff. So Passion Pod 63 next week, we're chatting to a rather wondrous theatre producer. Uh, she's doing some really exciting stuff at the moment. Just got a massive new gig at the Old Vic. I know. Ooh, uh, great timing on our part there. Completely by chance, I'm not going to lie. Uh, so we're chatting to her next week. Um, if you haven't subscribed to us on iTunes already, get yourself on there and you'll be the first to hear it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening as ever uh, and look forward to catching up then. <laughs>